0: Hey guys, this is Anand Chimpy from Anontech.com. We've got a full crowd here for episode six of the Anontech podcast. Um, once again, we have Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor, now back from Korea. Hey guys. And uh, returning from the original crew is uh, Dr. Ian Cutris, our senior motherboard editor. Hey, what's up? Um, so we have a lot to discuss. Uh, I promised at the end of last time that I'd talk a little bit more about Haswell. Um, I apologize. I, I thought I'd have the Haswell architecture piece done by now. Um, it's obviously not, but but I can touch on a couple of things there. Um, Ian, you weren't around for our household discussion initially. Did you get a chance to follow any of what
1: came out of IDF, or are you still kind of waiting for uh, more details to come out? Um, I think I'd follow a lot of people in saying that I'd like a lot, you know, one big roundup when you get around to it. Yeah. Just so everything's all in one place.
0: So last week on the podcast, we kind of discussed... Um, the Haswell platform evolution, right? That we go, you know, what Intel is doing to get down to uh, Let's say 15 watts and then 10 watts and even and even further um, So I don't want to spend too much time talking about Haswell here just because we have a, a, a packed schedule But the the two big things on the CPU side that are kind of new in Haswell um, one is TSX uh which is the whole transactional memory support that, that, that Haswell brings to the table, as well as the kind of traditional microarchitectural improvements. Um, so, I uh, start with the latter first, right? So, if you remember when we went to Conroe, uh, Conroe effectively widened the front end of the machine and, and kind of went back to uh, like an evolution of the Pentium Pro uh, or the P6 generation. Um, and then since then, you know, there's kind of been replumbing done with Sandy Bridge. Uh, kind of everything's been built off of that, that initial Conroe architecture with tweaks here and there. And Halem brought us a memory controller and all this other stuff happened. Um, so Haswell does like a significant expansion uh, instead of just focusing on the front end. You know, there are some front end improvements, but Haswell actually um, addresses the execution side of, of the engine, right? So you can have more instructions in flight. Uh, you can kind of, you know, buffers are deeper, stuff like that. Uh, but we also get the addition of extra... Uh, execution ports so whereas Conroe kind of let you extract parallelism from the instruction stream uh, and, and you know subsequent generations improved on that Haswell really helps extract additional parallelism from kind of the decoded scheduled about to be executed micro-op stream um, so it's just continual improvements in, in various portions of the chain uh, and, and what we're seeing is on average you should be able to expect um, compared to a identically clocked Ivy Bridge uh, somewhere in the 5 to 15% range increase in CPU performance, um, which actually doesn't sound like a lot. I, I mean, Sandy Bridge was, what, about 20% overall? Or, or am I remembering that too fondly?
1: No, I think that's right, isn't it? It fell a bit more than 20% in my home machine, I'll be honest with you.
0: Yeah, well, because Sandy Bridge combined, like, better turbo and a bunch of other stuff with it as well. Um, but 5 uh, to 15%, I don't know, Ian, is that like a... a you know, if you've averaged that out to a ten percent bump on average, that doesn't sound significant enough for a lot of like the, the traditional kind of like hardcore desktop enthusiast community.
1: Um well, going from Sandy to Ivy was in the region of about five to ten percent, wasn't it? So add on another one. Um the point to consider here is if people are gonna go straight from Sandy to Haswell, if the power improvements are there, then it may make sense.
0: Yeah. So one thing we talked about last week is that um, a lot of the power improvements, obviously, are platform level. But those platform level improvements are really focused on, uh, you know, a, a later version of Haswell um, or, or the Haswell platform. What desktop and notebook users see um, is kind of a at most a twenty percent reduction in platform idle power. So you don't get the twenty x reduction if you're using a desktop. Um, at least not initially. I would, I would assume at some point, you know, we're going to get some really cool desktop form factors as well. Um, and in terms of active power, I'm I'm not sure, right? Like it's it's obviously you're doing more on the same process node. There's a lot of uh, kind of uh, power gating and, and clock gating efficiencies that are included in Haswell. So it's possible that average power will go down. Um, but I don't necessarily know that kind of full load power will be all that much better than Ivy Bridge. You're still at 22 nanometer, still the same process node. Um, obviously, you you know, more experience on the process node, so you you might see some improvements there. Um, And then the other major side to Haswell is TSX. So this is kind of interesting. It it obviously resonates very, very well with, um, uh, and actually Johan posted about this already. Uh, So folks in the enterprise space deal with this a lot, right? The idea is that um, when Intel did the pending forward, they discovered that, hey, look, you can't just, Uh, keep ramping up clock speed and expect performance to scale indefinitely. Um, So we started adding more cores in addition to improving IPC and increasing frequency. So the issue with adding more cores is not all applications obviously scale well with, you know, across multiple cores. Um, Those applications that do scale well, what happens when you have multiple cores accessing the same data structure? Like, uh, you know, you've got one table that four different cores are all writing to at the same time. Uh, the easiest thing to do from a developer perspective is when a bunch of cores want to access the same data structure, you lock the data structure and serialize the accesses, right? So, um, you know, say, hey, four cores want to access this one data structure, only core zero gets to access it first. When it's done doing its writing, then core one can go, core two, core three. It's great from a development standpoint, makes things super easy. Um, it kind of sucks from a uh, Parallelism speed up standpoint right because then effectively you get no speed up across multiple cores uh, The alternative to that is the developer has to go in and do some really really fine-grain lock management um, Which puts a lot of develop uh, burden on the developer and, and honestly um, That's one thing you're trying to avoid if you're trying to really push uh, multi and many core scaling uh, For for kind of the future of computing so Intel comes up with these uh, uh, extensions to uh, the x86 ISA, TSX is what they're known as, and what they let you do is, in a Haswell system, if the developer includes, you know, a couple of instructions that decode to no-ops in, in traditional, you know, pre-Haswell machines, so it's it doesn't break compatibility, but what they do is they tell uh, the computer, they tell Haswell that, look, this next bit of code may run into some locking issues, right? We may have multiple cores accessing the same data structure. Um, so Haswell, if you can, go in there and see if you can manage this on your own. So what the CPU will do is it'll sit there and say, okay, I've got four cores accessing the same data structure. Instead of assuming that they're all going to write to the same variable over and over again and screw everything up, let's just go ahead and speculatively execute all of this. And if there's no you know, uh, overwriting of data, if everything works out fine, then we'll just commit the results to memory. We'll get a huge speed up and kind of move on. In the event that there is a problem, eh, that's fine. We'll just re-execute the code all over again and and kind of lock it traditionally, right? So you, you'll serialize the whole thing. Um, this is super interesting for, you know, folks in the enterprise space, obviously folks running, you know, like 24 core servers, uh, lots of potential benefit here. Uh, but there are also potentially big gains on the consumer side as well, right? Anything that uses P threads, any of the uh, well-threaded consumer-based um, software packages out there can all benefit from this as well uh this isn't something you'll see a a huge performance improvement from on day one uh but it's the you know with all isa changes right you have to do this and then uh over the next couple of years you'll you'll start to see improvements um ian i know you do a lot of multi-threaded development i i don't know how much any of this applies to you at all
1: um in a sense not so much on my end um i deal with a I don't really deal with um, data structures in that wider sense, more sort of um, individual elements, but millions of them. Okay. With uh, all their own register addresses required for whatever data they're carrying.
0: I gotcha. Um, so yeah, anyways, that that's all super interesting. Um, and uh, that kind of rounds off what I wanted to talk about with Haswell um, this round. So I'll, after the podcast, I'm, I'm back to working on that architecture article. So I'm going to try and get that out this week um moving on to the next big topic obviously iphone 5 um brian you're back from korea you got your iphone 5 um thoughts right that's right what do you what what what's your experience thus far
2: of the iphone 5 or yeah uh
0: we'll get to korea in a second i want
2: to talk about the optimus
0: (laughs) g um
2: let's talk iphone Uh, 5 first i mean i think i think our impressions or at least mine are the same as what they were like when i was at the demo room honestly Nothing Nothing has really changed. It still feels, you know, very thin, very light, kind of like an empty metal box in some ways. I mean, those 176 extra pixels or whatever in the vertical space do make a difference. But yeah, I find myself a little bit... Um, my, like, excitement is tempered by the fact that there's no AT&T LTE here yet still. Yeah. And so for me, that's, like, half the story. Yeah, so- that's a little bit disappointing. I'm I'm actually surprised but that there's at- no one else to blame but AT&T for that.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm surprised they didn't. I mean, they seem to be pushing this like huge rollout uh in the couple of months leading to to iPhone 5 launch, but I I guess it it's not as aggressive as we all would have hoped.
2: Well, they pushed out like the key markets that they didn't really have support for already, like Seattle, Portland, you know, there were there were just a bunch <clears throat> and that came literally in like 3 or 4 days there. But it seems like the rest of them were just going to have to wait. And I was told before December, well, we'll see how they, we'll see whether that works out. I haven't seen any test sites, you know, and I've, I've been driving around trying to find, you know, where, where are going to be test sites. So, I mean, that's sort of just my local thing. The bigger issue that I have right now is that there are so few apps updated that utilize the full vertical space that it's it's kind of annoying. And especially things like the, my IM client that I use a lot, it has hasn't been updated yet. And so the keyboard in the portrait mode gets shifted up. Um, you know, so you get letterboxed apps that are centered in both, you know, portrait and landscape. So there's this vertical offset when you're typing, and that's just kind of annoying. But I mean it's just little things that will get fixed. Interesting. Um <clears throat> so I I finally got to spend time holding
0: the device. Um and I would say it ended up being, on average, I feel like it's it's heavier than I would expect. Um, just based on everyone kind of saying this, like, whole, the same thing. You know, it feels very, very light, very hollow. Um, but maybe because I'm also comparing it to a lot of the, like, polycarbonate phones out there. Um, you know, yeah, it, precisely. It, it doesn't feel all that light. So I, I think, you know, it's important to have perspective there. Um, but it does make the, the previous model feel super freaking heavy.
2: It's because of all that glass. Yeah, there's just no way, there. there's no getting around the fact that it, you know, the previous ones were heavy. So people that I talked to who only used a 4 or 4S are like, this feels like a child's toy. Like somebody told me yesterday, it feels like a child's toy. Interesting. And I was like, well, I strongly disagree. Like, I don't know what child's toys you're playing with. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's going to feel much lighter if you're coming from that. Yeah,
0: but if you're coming from like a, a 1S or a 1X... It's I, it's not all it's that still different. Still pretty beefy. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but I don't I, know. For me, that that's the big thing is that you know getting this extra row like that's pretty cool. The other big you know like there are two big pieces of that puzzle, and at least from my perspective, and one of them is of course the SoC, which is you know I mean Apple built the CPU. That's pretty. It's a pretty big deal, and the other the other one is LTE. And then I guess maybe like a third is the, the camera stuff, even though camera really isn't all that better. And supposedly there's this oversampling mode where it will give you a two by two bin on all the pixels in low light. Yeah. Um, but I can't make that happen. Like I haven't, maybe I'm not doing it right. It's supposed to like kick in by itself. Interesting. But I spent a lot of time yesterday tinkering around in you know various low light environments, but I couldn't make that happen. Interesting. So who knows? I mean, that's supposedly there. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty big stuff, too. You know, this is like, you know, oversampling is what's done on the 808. So if it's, it's, if, it's if it's really done right, then you can definitely get a significant low light improvement. But, I, you know, I just haven't seen it yet, which isn't to say that it doesn't exist, because it, it supposedly does exist. Yeah, um, so...
0: Admittedly, I haven't played with the camera that much. My focus has been almost entirely on SoC stuff. Um, I've done a bit of LTE testing just driving around Raleigh, and, um, of course, battery life testing. I've just been, uh, ever since I got back from New York, it's just been trying to get you know some good characterization of battery life on this device versus uh, the previous gen as well as some of the other Android devices that are out there.
2: Um, yeah, my impressions this far have only been on WCDMA. Yeah. So... I'm curious what it looks like on LTE. Like a lot of people are saying that it's sa- the same as the 4S in terms of battery life. They, they sort of absorbed, you know, the process gains and went for the same battery life. With, I mean, obviously it's thinner.
0: Yeah. So it's um, so for people to understand, like we have internally, we have uh, this this test that we use for battery life called Web Test, um, and we use that. Uh, Web test version one actually debuted as a Mac battery life benchmark because we ran into this problem similar to what we have today in the smartphone space where uh, we don't we I mean we none of our battery tools work there right so web test one was a Mac benchmark Uh, web test two and three ended up being revisions of that benchmark web test three ended up being what we debuted in our smartphone tests years ago. Um, and then we've kind of evolved that so web test version 4 ends up uh, being part of our 2012 tablet benchmark uh, And then for the iPhone, you know, we kind of got this idea that uh, Hey look, maybe we should go a little more aggressive And we had a fifth generation web test benchmark that, that we were going to kind of deploy here um, And each of these benchmarks the idea is that uh, we want them to be very repeatable and at the same time we also want them to be uh, very realistic and and useful so one problem with web test three, and we kind of mentioned this in the 4S review last year, is that iOS does a great job, uh, maybe too good of a job, of caching a lot of the elements that we use in, in that web page loading test. Uh, web test four fixed a lot of that. Web test five basically makes it impossible to cache uh, the majority of what's downloaded during the, the course of the test. Um, so I've spent the past few days just running various revisions of web test five on this and trying to characterize battery life. Um, in a super aggressive version of it that I don't think we're going to you know, effectively ship the review with, um, I came out with somewhere in the five to six hour range for a single charge on uh, the 4S and 5. Um,
2: I, I got a, a little bit better battery life on the 5. Um, but there's a huge air interface difference, right? The 4S is on WCDMA, the 5 is on LTE. So, I mean, inherently... I mean, or did you run them both on WCDMA? Uh, so
0: I ran them, I, I ran it both ways, right? I, I ran them both at WCDMA as well as running the 5 on on LTE. Um, and and okay. so I, I do kind of support the theory that, you know, at least Apple, I believe, claims um, same battery life for LTE and WCDMA. And these numbers kind of supported that in the worst case. Um, I think because of how aggressive that test was, um, I, I don't know. Did you ever track how many gigabytes he used? I feel like it's over a gig just for that one test.
2: That test is super aggressive. I put in my second line in, and um, I got a data use warning. I'm up against my five gigs. Yeah, so... so like, if I do another test, I'm going to get billed
0: $10. <laughs> yeah, so I, I toned that down, because I thought that was a little bit aggressive. Um, but... Uh, so because of how data-heavy that test was, um, I feel like LTE actually had a race-to-sleep advantage, over WCDMA so battery life was actually a bit longer on LTE um, but this this new version that we're debuting here um, uh, I guess web test 5 beta 2 um, it, it tones that down a bit and actually the phones are running right now and I'm basically showing a 10% gap or a 10% improvement comparing WCDMA on the 4S versus uh, LT on the 5, so I have to go back and, and run it on WCDMA on the 5 as well. Um, but it, it does seem, the 5 does seem to be a little better. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily, like, uh, significantly better, and I don't know how it compares to the 4 yet.
2: Um, yeah, I'll run that, because I still have the 4 kicking yeah. around.
0: Um, so that, that's that's what I've kind of been struggling with now. And I, I ran web test 4, so I also ran our, our um, uh, tablet battery life test on there. Um, and I got around eight, eight and a half hours, um, on, I think both WCDMA and LTE. Um, yeah, actually in that one, I think it was like eight, eight hours, 20 ish minutes on LTE and then just about eight hours on WCDMA on the five, um,
2: Interesting.
0: So I it's, have to run
2: that on some other Android devices too.
0: Yeah. Well, my my hope is my hope is if um, this new rev of the fifth gen test works out well, then we can just skip Web Test Four altogether and, and just move to that. Um, but but I'll I'll know more um, by the end of tonight, basically. Um, and then on the SOC side, the big discovery there was that uh, we were wrong about um, kind of peak loaded clock speed. Uh, the original Geekbench data pointed to a gigahertz for both cores, um, but depending on how you load it, I can get 1.2. Um, not a huge difference. Uh, makes the gains in IPC a little more reasonable um, or realistic, I guess. Um, but yeah,
2: I love how, yeah. With Geekbench, it you have to you have to do that. It doesn't. It shows it to you on its first load up. And that's it, unless you force quit it.
0: Correct. Well, we saw that actually, and the only reason I, I thought to look for that is because that's a uh, like that's a rookie mistake that all the even the PC apps used to do too, right? Like they would just grab clock speed at start and then report that at what the clock speed happens to be for the rest of the run. Um, yeah. And then so I <clears throat> I ran. I guess I was downloading an application in the background, and then I launched Geekbench while that was happening, and that's how I got it to to bump up to one point two. Uh
2: huh. Um, Interesting. Well, I saw tethering too.
0: Yeah. yeah so t- tethering sometimes would do it. Um, yeah. There was just a bunch of stuff that I would try and do in the background to kind of load the cores up to get them to you know increase per, uh, their frequency, and then you know load up Geekbench after that.
2: Um, I just say I'm not a huge fan of Geekbench yet. Yeah it's what What are your complaints about it stuff like this and then stuff like <laughs> i'm just really not sold on it being comparable cross-platform yet no i i agree completely like everyone's and that that's why in
0: our performance preview i was like you know just focuses uh, this focus on this comparing the iphone iphones to one another um because i saw a lot of people comparing back to like power mac g5s and doing like, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. And, and, you know, you Maybe and I, I fails to parse. Yeah. You, you and I saw this, you, <laughs> you and I saw this when we tried comparing Android to iOS data, some of the Android stuff doesn't add up at all. Right. Like if you, if you actually, if you look at Geekbench under Android and compare two platforms that should be performing a certain way, it's not comparable data. Like, that's why we don't use Geekbench in the Android space. Yeah. Um, well, and, and
2: the dev, I mean, he emailed us. <clears throat> I feel like he's working on making that better. Yes. But um, I, I'm just not really sold that one is native versus one is running on Dalvik. Yeah. I feel like that might be the issue. I haven't spent enough time looking at it. But yeah, ever since I saw, we we saw those numbers when it first came out for Android I've just had this like bad taste in my mouth. Yeah,
0: no, I would so I'd strongly caution anyone against like drawing conclusions based on you know how much better this is or worse this is than uh, Exynos Quad or or Crate or anything like that. I I don't think we have sufficient data to do a good cross-platform comparison here. Um, yeah.
2: So have you had time to actually use the phone? Have you played around with it? Yes. I mean, you're always on the you're always getting calls, right? So how does this? How are you battery life testing? Yeah. So I um basically.
0: I had to add another line and then I had to proactively call everyone from, I've got like a sprint phone that I, that I, the, the Motorola Photon Q. So I've been calling everyone and confusing them with that number and basically saying, Hey, if you need me, call me over here. Um, So yeah, but the, you know, basically I got the phone at 11 something AM on Friday uh, when I was still in New York and I used it for that whole day. Um, so I got to experience, you know, the awesome noise canceling earpiece thing, which was great. Um,
2: I still saw nobody, nobody mentioned that in their review and it was very disappointing for me when I saw all the reviews came out, nobody mentions that sound or that feel. Yeah.
0: So now here's the thing. I asked a friend, Manny, I asked him, I was like, Hey, um, did you notice the earpiece thing? And he doesn't call enough using the earpiece, not using a headset, to really notice it. So he said he did a couple calls and couldn't notice it. Um, Whereas for me, you know, immediately, like, the first two calls I was on, I happened, again, I was in New York City, so uh, there was a lot of noise to cancel out. Um, It was, like, immediately apparent. Um, The issue I have with it is it doesn't seem to be... Uh, consistent like I've had it happen once or twice during a maybe a two minute call I had it happen for a, co- a total of like maybe 12-13 seconds um, and then it just stopped noise cancelling for whatever reason um, it
2: seems to kick in yeah like you're saying it, it kicks there's a threshold
0: um, but it's a super neat effect right like I, I think it's it's. I don't necessarily know that it's something that I have to have yet right because it's so inconsistent in in how it kicks in but it's really cool like I like that it's there
2: it is very cool. Yeah, I just I don't know. It's just something it was something new for me. Yeah. You know, and it's <clears throat> I mean, the other stuff like it's 16.9, okay. It is a lot faster. Yes. I'll give it yeah, granted that it's like very fluid everywhere. Yes. Um you know, like the hardware is phenomenal. I feel like iOS 6 as a whole is a regression. You know, maybe we we should talk about Maps and YouTube and all that situation. (laughs) See, I don't feel like it's a regression. I feel like Maps is... uh, No, I feel like it's a regression. Like, there were features removed this release. Compared to iOS 5... You feel like the OS as a whole was a regression? Or just because uh, of the Maps and YouTube thing? Just because of Maps and YouTube. Like, this release should have been ios 5.5 or something yeah so so yeah, i like I a point update but I, for, you know because it's a yearly cadence we need to increase the number by one yes well i mean it has to play catch up to os 10 right um yeah so that they both become 10 exactly pretty soon i mean i so bet what, you in, only got four years left
0: yep in four years i bet they just unify the whole thing and uh uh then they either all move to arm or all move to intel wow that's scary.
2: That's an interesting <laughs> prediction. I kind of like that.
0: Right? Like it's it's you know we talked about this a little bit last week, right? Like it's it's if mainstream client computing goes to 10 watts and Arm is competing in this, you know, 1 to 2 watt space, that's not a lot of gap for them to make up. Now, I'm not saying that that means that they can deliver a great 10 watt part, but it's a lot more believable than Arm coming out with like a 100 watt, you know, beefy, completely separate design CPU.
2: Yeah yeah I mean, no, you're totally right. Like there's just no there's nothing I can add to that. Like, it's just it seems so obvious when you say it. But at the same time, I think a lot of people haven't put all that together yet, yeah. well, I,
0: I mean, like I said, there's a lot that can happen between now and then. Um, but I guess anyone looking to, you know, and i've I've seen you comment on this on as well. You know, everyone uh, giving Tim Cook the pat on the back or whatever. it's it's totally premature, right? If you want to see, whether or not he can fill Steve's shoes let's see how he manages this
2: transition right yeah. cuz that's you know, that's another thought too the the hardware product lines themselves are very hard to screw up because of that you know very long tail design process you know like what it what what does that look like well it's it's not it's not something that you can just churn on a dime but the software side that got me thinking like would is this Exodus away from Google, just sort of like we're following the the two points that Steve set off into oblivion, or you know this is a man that frequently would change his mind instantly, which is something that it takes takes a lot of guts to do, and say hey maybe we really shouldn't be you know, reinventing maps here maybe we should extend, you know the olive branch, or the checkbook or whatever, you know, and pay <laughs> for the API right i mean ian you're in the uk you've seen how messed up the maps are in the uk i don't i don't think you're not an ios user or anything but i just that's what i was trying to communicate in my sections of that ios 6 maps review when i said you know outside the us and outside california it it you know like it falls off fast right like i i've told people unless unless you're on the west coast basically your maps coverage is abysmal you know like you have no 3d anything i don't know this is this is me um so for me i i used uh uh
0: i used maps quite a bit in new york and it wasn't terrible but i felt like one obviously the lack of um that's
2: a flagship market, though. I mean, come on. It's got 3D stuff now.
0: Well, no. So so um, I, I was more concerned. So the lack of um, public transit mapping was an issue for me. Um, and, uh, you know, because, like, I want to go places on the subway, and I, you know, it would be helpful to have a mapping system that that could do that. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. So, Well, you, luckily, you had the Razer M,
0: right? Yes. I had the Razer M. I also had the One X. Like, I had other things. But it, it's yeah. just, you know, I was there. A friend of mine was there with me, and... Um, we'd be like, okay, let's, you know, go here for dinner. And then I'd say, oh crap, I, you have to, can you look this up on your phone? <laughs> like, Hey, I can't, I can't actually map the subway route there. Um, so he just made fun of me a lot the whole time. Um, and then there, there were other things that I noticed where I would try to, I, I remember I was in Times Square and then I was just trying to go a couple blocks over. I was just trying to figure out where that was. And so I, I wanted to use the, the new navigation you know, turn by turn navigation stuff, and it basically told me to walk 60 feet and then just magically teleport to my destination, like it's just it just stopped, and so that was kind of frustrating. And again, you know, having a friend who was using a 1x right next to me, there's just lots of fun being poked in my direction. Um, but I, and I have, in
2: that regard, I just can't help feel that it's a regression. Like, what is the feature add beyond 3D? Like, I get. I get that, you know, this is a strategic move. There's that constant drive to vertical integration. There are regulatory things involved with the fact that you can't you can't use the Google Maps styles to do turn by turn and also now you have to pay a lot of money to get maps API access over a thousand requests per month or something. Yeah. So, like, Wait, I so why all is this, the but at the same time we're talking about you know, like these are these are problems for lawyers and businessmen to work out yeah like this is not an engineering-based problem so right? question this is why i'm like just show up with the checkbook and then really <laughs> the problem goes away <laughs> so
0: so question what is
2: the regulatory
0: um and i, I want to get ian's take on all this um iphone 5 as well as iOS uh, io6 maps as he's the the uh, resident non user here
2: um Well, in the the uk the maps is terrible like honestly they have they have i guess there are some regions that have things labeled both in english and welsh and then (laughs) there are just cities that are misnamed and there's apparently some i mean there's just like everything is wrong there for some reason so it's hilarious you see all this stuff popping up
1: i've heard of towns being in the wrong place yeah exactly but the um, the thing for maps for me, I'll give you a usage scenario which um, I use. So um, go out for the night um, to a club, um, not completely tanked, but at 1am <laughs> trying, try, trying to look for a, a way home. So I, I live 15, 20 miles outside the direct centre of London, so I want to be able to f- use the public transport to get home. I want to find which night buses I need to connect to and uh, when they're going to arrive and how often they arrive. Um, with my Android phone um, it was no problem I was home within an hour and a half and there were plenty of buses um, given the what I've heard about um, the iPhone 5 and iOS 6 and maps I just couldn't put my faith in that sort of system if it won't allow me to do that
2: yeah and that's coming with the addition of you know third-party plugins that will expose routing but yeah as it is as it launched that that doesn't exist like you just I guess you'd have to hail a cab, but how much does that run? Like 20,000 pounds.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a feeling that would be sort of like 50 pounds plus.
2: Yeah, so like basically as much as you spent on, on drinks,
1: maybe? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 don't spend that much on drinks. I'm not oh, okay. much of a I don't
2: know how much drinks
1: cost in London. <laughs> the, 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 that, would, that would easily triple the night out if I had to call a taxi. As it is, I could just use my Oyster card, use my Android phone, get night buses home, easy. Yeah, so I don't know.
2: That's why I say, in some regards, it feels like a regression. So the maps thing, I, I it's it's frustrating
0: for sure, right? Like it's it's a uh, it is a pretty significant undertaking in my eyes, right? Like to to even contemplate going up against Google in this regard. Um,
2: well, and that's why I have to wonder: would is that a strategic move that makes sense? Because. Big data is not Apple's bread and butter. Yes. Apple's bread and butter is industrial design, executing on products and delivering, you know, like this consistent user experience across everything. Yeah. That that works, you know, most of the time really well out of the box if you stay in the little ecosystem. Whereas Google's bread and butter is, is not really search. Search is what gets them revenue. Google's bread and butter is big data. They just love huge amounts of data that they can data mine. Go find trends, you know, merge like so this like GIS fusion thing is there. like it's they've nailed it. And they there's just so much data backing that, both from handsets that are reporting all this back, you know, so you know the optimal routes. Yeah. And then obviously the you know, things like the street view cars that are gathering all that data. And then they have their own satellites for doing, you know, the aerial photography capture. Whereas You know, when you look at the players that Apple has kind of put together, it's just like we're going to fuse all this stuff together. And most of them aren't, you know, the highest tier. And you, the result is you get, you know, you know, aerial photography in some regions has clouds covering it. So you know, when you're (laughs) taking pictures, you need to take multiple pictures and then remove the clouds, do a color match, and then you get something that looks like what you would expect. And in a lot of regions that hasn't been done, you know, like when I was looking around in a lot of regions in China, I just saw clouds. <laughs> so that's when, you know, it's just like B and C players. Yeah. And just the data sources are not what they should be. So I'm uh, curious, um,
0: you know, normally I would agree with you here, right? That, that this is not Apple's, you know, this is a Tim Cook famous state uh, saying, right? We're the most company, the most focused company that, that I know. Um, but we just talked about this, right? Apple is now a CPU design house, right? Like, they, they've they already taken that step to, hey, we're going to expand far beyond just being known for industrial design or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like That's they, true. with this generation, with what they've done in the A6 and, and what they did with Maps, they've expanded the meaning of vertically integrated. Um, and not by an, uh, a small amount either, right? Like, not just saying, hey, we're going to... Uh, you know, integrate one or two more pieces of the stack. but These are like two major components of what makes a smartphone. Um,
2: well, the CPU execution has been great so far. <clears throat> I mean, we haven't uncovered any errata. Yeah, but um, which
0: still worries me like to no end that just something horrible is going to happen in twelve months. Um, I have no basis for this. <laughs> well, why but
2: twelve it, months? Like it'll it'll be hidden. Well, I mean, that's just it won't really service.
0: That's how it always works, right? It's maybe not twelve months, but maybe six months, right? I look at all major errata that we've seen um or a lot of major errata over time. Um and it always seems to surface either at launch or, you know, a handful of months after launch. Um you know, because the the way it works is simulation doesn't stop once you've completed your design, right? So uh, you know, let's say they completed their design a year ago and you go through all the simulation, all the instruction combinations and and they fix bugs and they do new spins of silicon and eventually they hit a point where they're like, look, this is a we can ship this hardware. This is good. But even after that point, they're testing, I mean, because they're like just an impossible number of combinations of instruction uh, of instructions and, and usage models and, and all the stuff that you have to simulate. And the higher performance and the bigger the chip, the, the more obviously simulation work you have to put into it. Um, so even after they committed to the design, they keep simulating, um, which is why I, if you remember the TLB bug on Phenom, we didn't get wind of that until like a week before launch or maybe a couple weeks before launch. Right, so they were simulating something and then they hit this magical instruction combination and they're like, oh, crap. You know, we, we're shipping silicon, OEMs have it now. Whoops, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> right? Like it's, uh, so that always, or if you look at the, um, what is it? The 1.13 gigahertz Pentium 3 where Intel announced it, Intel launched it, and then a month later they had to recall it, right? Because they're like, oh, whoops, by the way, this may not always work at its advertised frequency.
2: I mean, the the thing here is that Apple controls the OS and probably they're hoping they can mitigate any errata just because they control all of that.
0: That's true. If they if they they see a funky software or or, um, instruction combination, they can just kind of forbid it from happening at the OS level.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Or if it's a frequency thing, they just change their DVFS table. Yeah. So I feel like they have they think that they can mitigate all these things.
0: That's true. Yeah, that is very that's a very good point. We've never had a CPU company I mean, they can always push out new microcode, right? But that always required, well, you have to get everyone to update their biases, which never happens. But here you can kind of force an update on everyone, right? Everyone's always on, always connected.
2: Yeah, and it's a phone and it has this OTA structure. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Who knows whether they can execute
0: No, no, that, that I think that is what? a really, really good observation, right? Like that that um uh, that kind of even lends credibility to this idea that, look, Intel really needs to adopt these always on, always connected. Like the PC has to go there because it it fixes a lot of issues. Right from their perspective, the ability to, to kind of guarantee that everyone who has this device is pretty much connected and has a system for, you know, where you can deliver these sort of updates and, and get them working and in there quickly versus well, you got to make sure you know a guy down the street that knows how to do a BIOS update for you, right? Like, if you're a general consumer. Well,
2: well, <clears throat> excuse me. So what, what about the um, the fact that Intel did try to do some of that with, with Mego? Um, I mean, they, they wanted to have their own OS, right? Like yeah. They they almost did. And they would have been at the same sort of, we control the OS, we control the CPU, we know how to both you know best integrate all of this together
0: that's true i mean i hope i wish Migo went somewhere um i think they picked a great partner i think they were blindsided by the the nokia microsoft deal um and i think like most aspects of intel's push into phones they were not aggressive enough um you mean on the phone space yeah so i i'm i'm not i'm not entirely sure um but yeah, so so there's
2: that. Um, anything else that we want to talk about on iOS 6? Um, well, there's the removal of YouTube, too. But I mean, that's not as big of a deal because Google made an app. Yeah. And YouTube is still there. Yes. And other than the fact that it doesn't work with AirPlay because of question mark, which will get fixed, then really YouTube didn't change at all, but... There's no mitigation for Google Maps being gone unless you just go to it in the browser at this point. Yeah, I think I think Maps was obviously the major departure there.
0: Um, the other thing that I'm wondering is how how far away are we from Apple shipping a Maps application for OS
2: 10? Well, and yeah, you need to have a Maps application that exists on the web if you want to deliver the full thing. Yeah. No, that's true. Like, it's shocking to me that that didn't launch with the whole the whole suite. I feel like. If, sorry. Go ahead.
1: If they released the web application sort of like Google did first, then they would be able to iron out all these bugs before it came onto the iPhone 5.
2: And it's easier to submit um, trouble things on that than it is on the phone. Like, I've been submitting trouble things. Like, when I went up to the Sentinel Peak to take the panorama comparison shots, I used, uh, you know, turn-by-turn on iOS and the last part I recommended going the wrong way on a one-way road. So that's just like their data source didn't have that marked as one way. You know? So I submitted that, but it's it's a pain. Like it's not easy to submit those type of requests on the phone. Yeah. H-
1: who does the driving directions for the uh, Apple Maps? Is it well, some, Tom of this, Tom. some of the
2: some of the street data is TomToms. Tom's. I mean, there's a bunch. I published the webpage, you can go look. And then um of course your your own code does the path finding and routing, so that's sort of like left as something for the reader an exercise for the reader, or in this case Apple to implement but I mean obviously, even the best routing you know software won't get around the fact that sometimes you need to have you know your your maps data appropriately labeled for this is one way, so uh, just stuff like that.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I do wonder what the long-term play here is, right? Like if, if, I mean, obviously Apple's a huge company, right? They have to have a roadmap for this. And making this kind of a decision doesn't come without some sort of commitment to that roadmap. Um, So the question is, where did Apple fall on the spectrum, right? Is it, hey, we shipped this and we didn't think it would be that bad? Or is it, yes, we know it is where it is, but we have confidence and a lot of money and we know we're going to fix it. Uh, and we have a roadmap internally that we're just not sharing at this point to get there.
2: See, but that's totally against the previous Apple MO. Like the previous one would be, we just won't ship it until it's ready. Yeah, uh, right. As, 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 you, know, uh, you know, I guess it, in this circumstance, because of the API changes and Google wanting money and, you know, they kept, they kept changing what the API rules are and that license supposedly is up, that maybe their hands were forced and you know and i read other interesting theories too which are well maybe the team the maps team wanted this integrated so they pushed it out the door and that forces everybody's hand to include it yeah so i mean you can just guess either way but i mean your normal user doesn't really care it's just like <laughs> it doesn't work yeah exactly um i don't know it's
0: interesting i mean i i think the the good thing is it 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 leaves a lot of opportunity for other players in the market who, you know, perhaps couldn't gain access to this hardcore iOS user to actually tempt them over, right? Which is good, it it, it provides competition, it provides a reason for people to consider other platforms. Um, you know, well, the, absolutely, yeah. the one common trend I encountered when I was in New York is every non-tech-related establishment I went to, um, you know, like during downtime there, I'd, I'd go visit a friend or, you know, go to a restaurant or go anywhere. Anywhere I went and when people asked me what I was doing, all they cared about was the iPhone part of it all, right? Like, And and this happened actually two weeks prior when I was in New York. Everyone asked me while I was there and why I was there. And I told them, you know, Google, you know, Motorola announced new phones, Nokia announced new phones. And everyone there, they just responded the same way. They're like, oh, well, it's not the iPhone. I don't really care. Um <laughs> That's so
2: bad. See, my friends used to be that way too, but now they they know that the majority of my work is Android. Yeah. But so so, so there's th- less of like it's like nobody is nobody has cared. Like I've been in public with the iPhone 5 and nobody's been like, "Oh, is that the new iPhone yet?" Yeah.
0: No, it's it's and this isn't just I like I didn't have a lot of my friends there. This is just normal people I'd run into in like businesses or whatever. And you know, they would always say like it's just they just care about the iPhone. I mean, I was uh, sitting in Central Park like working on the iPhone 5 performance piece right like I literally I just got the phone walked you know the couple hundred feet to Central Park and I'm working on it and some like Russian ladies walk by and they're like is that the new iPhone 5 and they just start asking me questions about it like it's it's there I think there's this whole focus um, in, in a lot of these communities um, that that's just very look if it's Apple I'm interested otherwise you know it doesn't have anything to offer me. Um, so I, I think this, you know, the, the kind of teething issues or the, the growing pains with Apple's own maps app gives the, leaves the opportunity for, for Samsung and some of these other guys to, uh, at least start having conversations with those owners. Um, which I think is healthy. Yeah. I think it's very healthy. Um, so actually I wanted to switch gears here, but, uh, you know, talking about Android, um, Ian, you were just at the Motorola Intel launch for the Razer Eye.
1: Yes. How was that? This is, Was this your first smartphone launch? This was, and um, not being too clued up on smartphones, a little bit of it was confusing, um, must be said. Um, but it was a very sort of high-level launch. They weren't going into very much detail about um, what was inside the phone, just how it looked and... How it's and they kept pulling numbers out of out of the air about battery life regarding compared to the iPhone 4S and the iPhone 5. Yeah.
0: That's unfortunate, um, like that's that's just how all smartphone launches seem to work, unfortunately.
1: Um and I was I was playing around with the Razer Eye afterwards and one of the engineers said, um, how do you like it? And I said, It's got two problems, and they said, What are they? And I went, the iPhone five and the SGS three. Interesting.
2: <laughs> That's pretty bold. <laughs> That's pretty bold. I
1: like that.
0: So I'm guessing we're never getting invited to another Motorola London event after that.
1: <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I did say in good humor, but...
0: Um, no, I mean, that, that is a good point. Like, it's... it's So the Razer Eye is just a repurposed Droid Razer M, but with the Intel Medfield platform inside versus, um, you know, the the Snapdragon S4-based the the one we have here on Verizon.
2: Yeah, because you guys don't have LTE
1: yet. Well, you sort of do, but it's not fully ready yet. No, we don't. Um, we should be getting it with Everything Everywhere, yes. which, is, which is the um, high-level company over two of the UK carriers. So we're going to have three different, out of those two carriers, I can't remember which ones they are at the minute, but they're going to have shops for each, and then they're going to have new Everything Everywhere shops. I, think I it's believe it's
2: Spike. Orange and T-Mobile.
1: Yeah, so we're going to have Orange for the sort of value. Because over here in England, we have a thing called Orange Wednesdays, whereby if you have an Orange phone, you can get a two-for-one on cinema tickets on Wednesdays. So they're going to keep that with Orange. T-Mobile's going to be sort of the high end, and Everything Everywhere is meant to be the ultimate enthusiast. But Everything Everywhere is going to have LTE soon. And... Um, then everybody else is going to come up with it sometime next year.
0: Well, wait, you guys get two-for-one movie tickets just for subscribing to, like, your wireless provider?
1: Yeah, what the heck is this? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> is this news? No fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so, so if you have um, a SIM program with Orange, you can tec- uh, text a certain number, they'll send you back a code, and then uh, um, at least Odeon Cinemas are definitely know that you can get um, two-for-one cinema tickets on a Wednesday evening but obviously it's very popular on a Wednesday because of this deal yeah but I don't care that's awesome like we, we don't and, and this
0: this this chain of theaters like they they play movies that people want to see it's not like oh we're just airing cartoons from the 70s yeah
1: no I think it's every film
0: wow dude I AT&T like I want something man like this is
1: <laughs> yeah I'm lucky
2: if AT, AT&T doesn't even take me to dinner first you know like it's just there's nothing uh, i could uh, i could go on this tangent forever like it's just you know I, I finally
0: i switched over to um like the new family share data plan here
2: oh you gave in yeah why'd you give in i i, I don't know i wanted the ten dollars a month that i would get out of it i guess you can facetime over cellular now i guess Wow. Okay. Yeah. Did you like how in my review I was of iOS six? I was like, I didn't test this because I refused to switch plans. Well, so and that was literally all there was to say about the feature. Yeah.
0: No. I saw that. Well. So the thing is, I I gave up unlimited a while ago, right? Because I wanted to get legit tethering.
2: Uh huh.
0: Um. So the move that makes sense. The move from that to the family data share, but like I I get I save ten bucks a month, and kind of not really like it's not it the savings aren't huge despite the fact that you know the whole point of this is to save a lot of money um but then apparently ian just gets awesome every wednesday they take him to a movie like
1: that's awesome <laughs> it it's, it's it's i just phone my grandmother who has an orange plan and ask her for a code wow wow
2: that's that's good that is so See, what it's th- like i would never know that that exists yeah ever. It's
0: like AT&T does such a good job of making sure that we're not friends with, I guess, threats on Facebook, right? That we don't get this information. Um, So what else do they do? If, you know, you get two-for-one movie tickets on Wednesdays, what do the other cell phone providers offer you?
1: Um, I believe T-Mobile is doing what's called the full Monty, which is texts, minutes, data, everything, unlimited for £33 a month if you take out a 24-month contract with a high-end phone. Wow.
2: Oh, yeah, we've heard about that, though. That's
1: pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm more interested in the free movie tickets or dinner, just because it feels like that's something like your friend does for you, right? And I would love to be able to think of my carrier partner as a friend versus just the person who's, like, constantly screwing me. Like,
2: it's just... I wouldn't mind if AT&T bought me, like, a Big Gulp, yeah. you know, like Big <laughs> Gulp Tuesdays or something, or, like... Yeah, I mean, that something. That would make it a lot better. Right?
0: Like, just improve my day throughout the week, Versus, you know, because otherwise, the only other time I have to interact with AT&T is when they're taking something away from me or making me pay them more money for something that I already have. Or snarky blog posts. Yes, or snarky blog posts. I love
2: blog. the snarky blog posts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it was like I. So when I'm adding my other line, right? I I went in, um, uh, went into the store, and and I didn't have my nano SIM to micro SIM adapter yet. So I was like, look, just I need another line, and and give me a micro SIM, and they say, yeah, that's fine. So they do that, I get home, and of course my nanocentive adapter is like in my mailbox. I'm like, oh crap, I have to go back to AT&T. I think this should be a very simple thing to do. No, what results is like a four-hour-long, half-in-the-store, half-on-the-phone process that never fully got resolved, and it ended up being, uh, or resulting in
2: my, I guess one of my sims getting canceled in the middle of the night. It was just a pain. I'm really jealous. I didn't get a net. My nano SIM, the micro SIM to full size SIM adapters got sent back to the the sender because USPS decided I was no longer living here. (laughs) Oh, when you were like gone in Korea or whatever? When I, well, it was when I was gone to HTC, and then there was something else before that, wasn't there? Yeah. So, like, altogether, somehow that ended up being, like, two weeks, and then I didn't check my mail for, like, the the 12 hours I was back or whatever. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, well, because, because the carrier saw your mail piling up, we just assumed that you were vacant, so everything was returned to sender. Wow. That's a pretty big assumption. Yeah, but apparently they're allowed to make that assumption. So, I had to go through the process of like I live here, please give me mail and then <laughs> like just hope that nothing important was in there.
1: <laughs> but you, I'm sure you're... that my adapters were you're enjoying Gangnam style too much.
2: Yes, I was.
0: Okay, yeah. so let's let's talk about that. You were you're in Korea, you got to play with the
2: LG Optimus G. Yeah, so LG flew us out, and now we can talk about what I was there for, I guess. That was the LG Optimus G, which is um, their latest and greatest device. And, of course, it includes the APQ 8064, so that's quad-core crate at 1.5 gigahertz with Adreno 320 graphics. Which Adreno 320 did really well versus the iPhone 5 and GL Benchmark. Right, yeah, it's like up. It's really far up there. Yeah, uh, it's just like rivaling it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, Adreno three hundred and twenty is a pretty competent beast so far. Um, but of course, because it's an APQ part, it also needed to have uh, an off, a uh, discrete modem, discrete baseband. So in this case, it's MDM ninety six fifteen. So this is the sort of Fusion three, uh, SOC and baseband combination that Qualcomm has been pimping. So we've seen Fusion one and Fusion two. This is Fusion Three, and so yeah, they flew us out to go play with it. It has, um, what is it? It's like twelve eighty by seven sixty eight so It's a little bit wider than seven twenty p, and the the construction is great. It's like um, it's it's a solid piece of plastic, but it has metal. It has glass on the front and back, and it's very very well built. And um, I don't know. I I think so. When I got when I got to Korea, they gave me an. Uh, LG Optimus LTE 2, which is an 8960 phone that's, a, that's the current latest and greatest. And then um, that was provisioned on U+. And then when they gave us the you know the Optimus G to play around with, these were hand-assembled units because they haven't entered mass production yet. Then we took our sims out and put them in that phone and used it for the remainder of the trip. But yeah, it's a great device. 13 megapixel camera although the the pixels are only 1.1 microns. So, yeah. And there's an 8-megapixel version that doesn't have a bump on the back, so the camera module is flush. But, yeah, it's a very, very potent device, and it's going to be coming to the U.S. soon, and they're going to have a lot of traction, and we're going to see it a lot more, too. So, yeah. That's that's sort of the long and short of the LG Optimus G. Um, So you got to, while you were there...
0: um... I, I kept seeing really cool photos from South Korea from you. Um, were those taken on the Optimus G or w- was that on yeah,
2: the one the ones that I
0: tweeted were all taken on the G. That's awesome. Um, and you are you allowed to discuss where you were when you tweeted
2: those photos? Uh, you mean the DMZ? Yes, yeah, that's okay to discuss. <laughs> so I mean, on the last day on the last day, they took us to um so they did they let us do some sightseeing. And they brought us to, you know, like there's these three stops that everybody kind of makes on the DMZ. And one is sort of like this, this kind of interesting slash a little bit unnerving amusement park thing. It's like amusement park slash memorial slash this is where your DMZ tour begins area. Wow. And that's the last, that's where um, you sort of transition from like a civilian car to like a, a bus that's sort of militarized and, you know, allowed to go closer to North Korea and through these checkpoints. And so we, we took some pictures there. I mean, you can see that you could see the DMZ, you know, you could see like some armed guards. There's a bridge where, you know, prisoners of war came across. It's not, it's not the bridge of no return that's somewhere else. Um, So we saw that. And then we went to an overlook and the overlook was great because you could see into North Korea and you could see the third largest flagpole in the world. And there's this yellow line you're not supposed to take pictures in front of. And, you know, so everybody sort of like does their thing taking pictures behind this line. And there are all these like binocular things. And there's like the last LTE base station with all the antennas pointed towards South Korea. (laughs) And, you know, lots of tourists. Lots, you know, it was very touristy, but it's cool to look down there. You know, and that town, it was very interesting to look into because, you know, you could see that there was not a lot going on. There were no like cars moving or anything. So you're you're kind of wondering like is this for show? And they have these these huge flags sort of like waving that it's all propaganda stuff. Um so then they took us to the third incursion tunnel, which is all these tunnels that they they've dug from North Korea into South Korea for invasion. And um this one had been discovered by a defector telling them where it was roughly and them digging lots of holes. So we got to go down there and walk around. And yeah, it was was quite fascinating that the sightseeing things, just like I've always wanted to go to the DMZ so you can check that one off, which was awesome. (laughs) That's great. And
0: actually Christian, um, uh, he's in South Korea right now for Samsung's SSD 840 Pro tech day slash launch. Um,
1: yeah. So I missed him by one week. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. No, he just got there a couple days ago.
1: What was interesting to me, Brian, is how you're tweeting about how good the LTE coverage was in Korea oh
2: my gosh, it's phenomenal the whole time I was thinking about how just it was amazing <laughs> like literally and amazing in a way that it, like the speeds were okay because it's only 10 megahertz on U+, so, but the uh, the coverage was just unbelievable, like it never stopped that's awesome like I never dropped a bar anywhere like the, only, the only place it- that I lost signal was in the incursion tunnel yeah so that's that's like i mean you see these base stations everywhere and it's just incredible because i think in the u.s people need to demand so much more from their from the carriers like ultimately that's what it comes down to is that you know we need to expect more and demand more yeah and not be satisfied with what we have because you know like i'm used to going into an elevator and just everything goes away yeah I stepped into elevators everywhere in South Korea and it never once went away. Wow. How are they doing that? Like just a lot of localized coverage
0: in the buildings?
2: Yeah, lots of very small cells. I mean, I took lots of pictures, tons of very small power, you know, low power, small cells
0: everywhere. So what's your recommendation then? How does, you know, other than demanding my free movie ticket every week, what do we do to kind of, you know, expect and demand more from our
2: carriers? i I really wish i knew honestly i i don't know just people need to be vocal and complain and um you know squeaky wheel gets the grease type thing the other thing is that in the u.s everybody's always like oh the cell towers are ugly you know or we don't want them on this building and you know like in san francisco apparently this is a big thing because everybody's like oh it looks ugly we don't want them you know but at the same time everybody's willing to complain about how bad things are so you can't have it both ways like i saw lots of antennas that weren't disguised or weren't masked or anything, and that's that's how you get good coverage. Interesting. Right. So if you wanna you if you wanna be complaining, you are know, like, oh, it looks ugly. I don't like seeing them. I'm gonna get cancer or whatever. <laughs> then you're gonna get you you know this is
1: this is what you reap. But <laughs> <laughs> right? people used to complain about power pylons being you know exactly. destroying the view of the countryside, and now they're everywhere. So. Brian, yeah, I, 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 I want of... my good coverage. Me too. I, I Me feel too, like so...
0: Brian. I, I feel like you can, you should editorialize this, right? Like if, <laughs> no, I mean, I you, you said it yourself, right? Like there's no no one, you know. When I ask you how do we fix this, you know, be the, be the squeaky wheel, right? At least offer a platform that can get shared around, and and you know people can start linking to it and talking about it at least. Um,
2: no, but, I know you're right. Yeah. And if it needs to happen. There's a lot, and you really only get you only really start to appreciate this when you venture outside the US. Yes. And just going there, it was so evident that this is completely different. I mean, and of course, that culture has just already a, a huge demand on internet connectivity. You know, like in the hotel room, I had 100 megabits up and down, just out, you know, like so basically I was limited only by, you know, like 100 base TX. Yeah, which is just mind blowing because I
0: go and I think about what I expect from hotel rooms here. And it's like, just give me like five megabit, right? Like that's if
2: if you oh, can't the time I barely get one. Yeah, yeah. if you can give me five,
0: it, I'm I'm okay. And that's like, you know, if you're staying at a nice hotel, right? And it ends up
1: being it, that like a lot of the
0: cheaper places are the ones that actually have decent internet.
1: But you still gotta pay fifteen bucks a day for it though.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: So, so see, uh, most of the hotels I've ever stayed at in England, it's you know included in the price or hotels in Taiwan, you know. So whenever I go stay in the US, it always confounds me that I have to, you know, lay down ten bucks, fifteen bucks a day for internet.
0: It depends entirely on the chain. I feel like the the more affordable chains included in the price, because they have to differentiate, right, at those price points. And then the more expensive the hotel, the more they're like, oh, you know, just give us twenty bucks a day and then we'll give you internet.
2: Yeah. And most of the time it's still not even fast. Like no. this I'm pretty sure was free. And it was just a hundred megabits straight up. Oh, but, and there was no captive portal or anything. Like it just, you just plugged in and it worked. That's awesome. Um, so that actually reminds me of something else,
0: um, that, that I actually talked to you about. I was using the razor M, uh, when I was in New York and that's when I discovered that it supports five gigahertz tethering, which I thought was really cool. Um,
2: that is very cool. Yeah. Like it's
0: it's it went from not being able to I mean I was staying in Times Square so obviously like doing anything at 2.4 GHz is just impossible. Um so I went from not being able to like get an internet connection or you know barely being able to conduct transactions of data to uh I just manually specified channel 153 or 157 and then boom it was perfect. Like even in the middle of Times Square I could still tether and it it worked. Um and it's weird like there's no like toggle for it the only way is you have to go into the mobile hotspot settings and manually specify uh one of those 5 gigahertz channels and and then it works otherwise it's um you it defaults to 2.4 gigahertz
2: i think that's very interesting that they have that feature exposed, and I was skeptical. So I looked at the FCC docs, and yeah, it's there, which is incredible. Yeah. Like, I, I think that might be the first. It, well, so that's what I'm wondering, like how many other phones, because I never think to look there, right?
0: Like I just assume that if it's 4 to 5 gigahertz, they would expose it. Um,
1: I'd, I'd assume the Razer Eye did as well, then, in that respect.
2: It's possible. I don't know what Wi-Fi stack they use there. Razer Eye is, is a TI Y-Link, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right, that's right um that's part of the medfield platform that's thing. right um i don't know so that was a cool feature um, i haven't seen i haven't seen i mean i always check because i always do the hotspot tethering test um and I've, i haven't seen that feature on any phone interesting. so that's the first that i've heard of it which is awesome um so even on like the the old droid
0: razor or razor max
2: yeah exactly there's no five there's no five gigahertz ap there yeah no it, it's it's like i didn't believe it at first um
0: and I checked my laptop. Negotiated it at five gigahertz. Um, I tried to connect it from from the connect to it from the iPhone 4S. It wouldn't work because um, the 4S obviously doesn't support five gigahertz, um, but the five does. So it would connect to it. Um, I don't know. It was just really interesting.
2: It was totally unexpected. Yeah, that that caught me by surprise. At first, I was like, "Wow, something must be wrong," because <laughs> exactly this is you know like I mean we've done a little. You know, like we had a reader email and talk and mentioned that it was probably DFS, which makes sense. It makes sense in retrospect. And so clearly, this this one hasn't implemented. Although, did they only expose certain channels? Like, was it only one, the higher channels? Yes, was it, only... it was one fifty three, one fifty
0: seven, and a couple others. Okay, well, those are the non DFS channels. So, so there you go. can you explain that to everyone listening? I, I don't know that everyone. Knows yeah, what you're talking so about.
2: That on five gigahertz, you're, you're sharing spectrum with what ends up being radar a lot of times. Like I believe it's also the the terminal Doppler weather radar, the TWDRs. There's a couple other too, but so um, it, because you're sharing some of those channels with the with that's you know spectrum that's used for that, the access point needs to be able to detect the pulses from those those radar systems and then dynamically change what frequency the channel is on. So that's where you get. DFS dynamic frequency selection, and what it will do is just avoid those those channels whenever it sees a radar or some some other transmitter fire up. Um, and so, not all not all the channels on five gigahertz are, you know, regulated that way. And it's sort of a market by market thing. Um, but in the U.S., I believe it's like one one forty nine and above are all non DFS, and then there are a couple below. I always have to check because it's. It's not really worth memorizing unless you're doing this every day, yeah, but the the non-DFS channels also give you higher they also have a higher power, maximum power. so that's why I'm always telling people when they're setting up their five gigahertz APs at their house, like go for 149 or above because you know the access point will let you go at higher power most of the time, even if it's not saying so. And also it doesn't have to worry you don't have to worry about DFS or anything. So obviously, in a mobile phone, you'd need to implement all of that checking, and that's just kind of a headache. So I guess the mitigation is just implement the channels that aren't affected by DFS, and you're good to go. Yeah. No, it's 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 super useful. Like it it actually made wireless
0: hotspot actually functional and usable there, um, which I thought was cool. Um, yeah, literally,
2: you can't do. Th- I mean, can I also just say? Thank you, whoever decided to put 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi in the iPhone, like, <laughs> 4334, like we predicted. Thank you. Like, this is just, like, that's the biggest thing ever for me. No, I, guess I agree. I should, I should include that as a number four for me in the big uh, update feature things. No, I agree completely. Um, but, you know, I, the, that's, that's the thing we
0: were complaining about last time, that even though you get 5 years Wi-Fi, you don't get 5 years tethering. Um, which of all the companies I would expect to do it, I would expect Apple to kind of jump on that first. Um,
2: but Apple wants you to do tethered. You know, like they really want you to do tethered. Like physically tethered? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I, guess I should have. <laughs> with, the, with the lightning cable. <laughs> yes. The $20 lightning cable. Well, can I say... we has some active stuff in
0: it. Can I say that I do like that connector, right? Like I wish micro USB was that physical type of connector. Plug in any direction you want and it just kind of works.
2: I wish USB was like that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All Although of those... I never plug USB in in wrong because I've like I see this on Reddit, like everybody is constantly posting who designed USB. I'm always plugging it in upside down. It's very simple. The USB indicator is always on the top, most of the time. Like nine it's like 90 percent.
1: But then you have to know what side top is on your device. That's not always
2: Well, I know what side top is on the device. Or at least on the on the FAT port? Yeah, it's obvious. I mean, on, on
1: on my computer or anything. Going to it's a friend's the, it's computer facing to up in. on the motherboard.
2: Like, like, take the Surface Normal coming out where you would plug a CPU, and that's that's up. So then you want to align the the USB. In. <laughs> like, this sounds <laughs> yeah. dumb, but for me, it's never a problem. Like, I read these things, and I'm like, really, you people haven't noticed that the logo uh, is always a-
1: on one side? No, 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 I've, not- I've noticed, but it still takes me three times to put in a USB port.
0: <laughs> yeah, so to be honest, I never even noticed that correlation, right? I just assumed that this is how it works. You just have to fail a bunch of times before you get it right. <laughs> it's, it's like branch prediction for me, right? Like, it's just, it's just how it is. I accepted it, but as usual. You have usual, to, like,
2: feel out which, which way is right. Yeah. Dude, I plug in Plus every it. cable
0: uh, upside down. Thunderbolt, USB, SATA, everything. Everything goes in the wrong way at least once.
2: Really? Uh, SATA
1: sat- sat- I always check but USB for some reason I don't check I just go, uh, no, uh, no Okay, that goes <laughs> uh, in No, <laughs> just keeps going Well, it's
2: because you, when you're hesitant plugging it in
1: the first time, even if you got
2: it aligned correctly, you're not gonna push it in because you're worried about breaking it You know, so that's why you get like the three plugs Let's just have a hammer beside it <laughs> in. See, it's it's actually even worse, like I remember way back
0: when I had a motherboard or a system or something where like the USB port was physically broken when I received it. So I like tried to, you know, stick it in, you know, the right way, the wrong way, the right way, the wrong way. And I kept doing it, kept failing every single time. And eventually I had to look at the USB port and I was like, Oh, they just, they just screwed it up. It's not me. And I think that's like psychologically ruined me for life.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You've always been hesitant. I always assume
0: that now there's, you know, it's just, I'm getting it wrong or the guy who built this thing in Taiwan, like screwed it up before shipping it to me. Right? Like, I assume that that's one of the, the likely outcomes, even though it hasn't happened in,
2: I don't know, 11 years. Gotcha. <laughs> well, I think the cable is interesting in itself because it's adaptive in some way. And everybody that's saying it's only USB 2.0 is wrong, apparently. And there are going to be other cables. So I guess we'll see what happens, What which is what irks me is that it's $20 for the USB 2.0 to lightning cable. Yes. And that there's, if you go to the store and you try to buy a power adapter, like previously the game was you could just buy the power adapter and cable for like $10 more, like $5 more or something. So obviously it made sense to buy that, but they haven't updated that at all. So there you can just buy a power adapter with a useless 30 pin dock cable or a standalone power adapter with then you pay twenty dollars extra for the cable to go with it, and that to me just seems that's like pure profit. That's like buying a couple of those, and I could have bought a, a whole new iPhone again, yeah, on contract, no, so,
1: so no. sorry about what about wireless charging? Are we ever gonna see that soon, or is that just because what, selling people new connectors for thirty bucks, twenty bucks every time is gonna make money?
2: We're never gonna have wireless charging while you have a metal back? That's, that's the train. true, and at the same time that you know like if you want nfc at current at present there's no um ability to have simultaneous coexistence of wireless charging and nfc because both are just like an inductive loop right so but the new controllers will detect whether you're doing nfc or whether you're doing wireless charging so you don't just send like f- tons of voltage across your nfc controller on accident <laughs> So that'll come eventually, but I'm just still not really, I mean, there, it seems like the wireless charging space is getting even more standards. Like Intel has one now, Qualcomm has one now, and then there's key, which has been around the longest. And some of them are like closely, closely coupled. And then some of them are loosely coupled. And then there's another one that, um, I can't remember what the Intel one is, but some of them have different, you know, alignment requirements and how close you have to be. So that space is like so volatile right now that it's it's hard like I have a TI debug um cu- uh, key forum board like if you like I just I talked with one of the TI engineers for a long time about this and he was like well we just why don't we just send you everything that you need to implement like doing all your tests so I have it but even then I don't really use it too often to do actual charging just because you need to buy the back and like a door yeah no, all this stuff.
0: No, I mean, I, clearly, like, when you have any situation where you have tons of competing standards, that's never good for actually fostering, you know, adoption of a standard. Because um, everyone's yeah. so worried about adopting the wrong one.
2: Exactly. Well, and Wi-Fi display finally got that right. Like, now we have Miracast, and it's, it's re- relatively solidified. Mm-hmm. And, and, and everybody's mm-hmm. getting behind that. Yep,
0: and eye now supports it as well, so it'll, it'll just work.
2: See, and I, I really like that. And yeah. I think people are, the OEMs re- recognize that if they want to compete with Apple, they need to do it with standardized approaches that sort of commoditize all these things that are otherwise, you know, they exist for the Apple ecosystem, but they're not going to exist for, you know, like just HTC or just Samsung. Yes. Like it's it's going to need to be much broader. So what's interesting to me is... Um, and,
0: and I agree with all that. Obviously, like those are the learnings we had from the PC industry, right? That you have to have standards, and they have to be free or, or low-cost enough where everyone implements them, and, and that's how you get... Uh, that's how you build like a nice base ecosystem for everyone to kind of uh, play in. Um, the interesting thing to me is, is the choice in naming for that connector. Um,
2: because of the whole cloud,
0: lightning, thunderbolt thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems... Uh, and I don't know if, like, this is just me reading way too much into it, but it seems, like, close enough to Thunderbolt. Um, and if you look at, well, what happens if Apple chooses not to adopt an x86, like an Intel-based smartphone part, right, down the road, and, and they want to use Thunderbolt as kind of a, an interface technology. I, I don't know if this ends up being a, well, you know, we'll just figure it out and we'll, we'll do it over our own little connector instead, um, if that ends up being, like, a, a plan B interesting right like i i don't i don't know i I, otherwise i don't
2: understand why you would name it so close right like to well see i thought it would be because maybe you could do usb 3.0 at some point in the future even though this soc doesn't support it yeah i don't know it's it's interesting
0: um i mean so the other option is you know intel has kind of uh not publicly but they've kind of mentioned that eventually thunderbolt becomes an open standard um once you know they kind of get it right, then they'll open it up. Other people will be able to make uh, controllers for it and stuff like that. Um, so maybe that happens, and, and this becomes a non-issue. Um,
2: but I don't know. I, I think it's just very curious naming. Have you have you measured the NAND speeds? So would USB USB 3.0 still wouldn't actually do anything, right? Um,
0: I have not measured the NAND speeds. Um, that's uh, I, I thought about doing that when I was in New York, um, and then ever since I got back, it's just been nonstop battery life testing um
2: yeah we still have a lot of stuff like people were emailing and sending stuff to me like where's the iphone 5 review yeah i'm like wait you know like we're it's gonna be like at least a full week or something maybe like you know there's no way it's gonna be like two days after i'm back from korea like we have all this stuff to do
0: yeah i i mean i i've been working as much as i can on it um you know it's i honestly had i not lost the past two days to like kind of uh, battery life tests that we're honestly not going to publish um, just for consistency, or, or it just becomes unfeasible to run these regularly. Um, I think I would have been, you know, at a point in the schedule where I could see me being done with everything I need to do before the end of the week. Um, but I think realistically, probably, you know, I'd agree with you, like the beginning of next week
2: exactly yeah
0: um i mean obviously we'll shoot for for more aggressive than that it's just uh, there's a lot of stuff that has to be done um so to answer your question i don't know um i don't know i am assuming what they put on here is still uh is it is it samsung nand from the teardown i think so so quote me yeah i'm not sure i i thought it was samsung um and if they dual source it'll be samsung or toshiba um i don't know i I remember seeing alpida as well but maybe that was just for the DRAM. um yeah that's right so if it's samsung NAND, i'm assuming it's not the latest and greatest i'm assuming they're still at 27 nanometer um which would be toggle 1.1 um which is not fast enough to require beyond usb 2 i don't think for a single i
2: I loaded up the i fixed it tear down it looks like they have hynix hynix interesting
0: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Hynix is like really cost affordable, uh, cost effective. I I don't remember. I think Hynix might be onfi. Um, I need to look into it and see which which onfi spec they implement. Um,
2: yeah, this is your area of expertise.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's it's uh so we last time what did what did we say? They were like in the 20 to 40 megabytes per second range, right? For for NAND speed. Um
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's physically possible to do faster I.O. than that, um, especially in some of these, like, multi-die configurations. The problem is I know nothing about what kind of controller they've implemented, right? Like, where everyone else falls short is they use, like, this really bad eMMC controller um, that just, just can't push data. Like, it's just really bad. It's basically a USB stick in a, or an SD card in a, in a phone. Yeah, um, exactly. So I, I don't know. And and this is what I've been talking to you about. Like, I keep waiting for the day when Apple integrates all their Anabit stuff, right? I think the, what they did with the A6 makes it very clear that at some point they're just going to build in an SSD controller. And that's why they bought Anabit, and it's just going to happen. Um, and now that Samsung with the SSD 840 said that, hey, you know, we're going to ship a mainstream consumer drive that uses 3-bit per cell MLC NAND. Uh, if they can do it, then that means that everyone else isn't that far away, oh, far away from being able to do it. Do something that's high performance and and um, uh, high endurance as well. Um, so so that'll be interesting. But uh, honestly, I don't know. I haven't dug that much into the NAND side yet. Um, I, I do want to. That's that's kind of next on the list. Um, I need to find someone with a 32 gig model. I have access to a 16
2: and a 64. Yeah, I have the 64. Yeah. Um, I, don't... I only bought one this time. I was like, I'm going for the max. <laughs> Yeah, I don't Oh and I got it unlocked too, the shady unlock thingy. So how did you confirm that that worked? I put in a T Mobile sim? Okay, so you you just um And I tweeted a picture of it working. <laughs> no, no,
0: I I saw that, but uh that's true. I how did you and you just like prison filed down the SIM? That's
2: right. Okay. Exactly, yeah. And well that's why I am like I need my nano sim adapter because now I can't do anything with my T Mobile line. Yeah, 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 no, that makes sense. Um, I need
0: to do that. I need to get a T Mobile sim. How how did you um so so do you want to explain the shady unlock?
2: So there are a couple of different sites that do this. Um the one that I used, I can't remember. It's like I am uh imzdl.com. So like I'm not personally recommending them, but they've built uh but it works, and they've built something of a reputation originally around doing this um this UDID proxy registration thing so that you could run the betas even though you weren't a developer. And now they've gone into factory unlocking for AT&T locked iPhones. So basically the way this works is they register as an Apple reseller and then they submit the unlocked token requests against Apple and they get them back. And you know, as long as AT&T doesn't really find out, then it works. So...
0: So now, if AT and T finds bucks.
2: if AT and T finds out, can they reverse
0: the unlocking procedure? No,
2: no. This is like the way that Apple architecture works is that it's like permanent. As soon as you get the token, and even better, it's permanent uh, on your on your Like if you go get it replaced, you get it replaced with an unlocked one. Really unlocked. So how does that work? It does. It, does it now come up like when Apple?
0: You know, you go to the Genius. He looks at your phone and he's like, "Oh, this is unlocked. I'm going to give you an unlocked one."
2: Precisely. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I've seen screenshots of the back end, and it shows up as factory unlocked, true. And um, so, yeah, that works. And yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about it. No, it's no, like that's authorized unlocked true. That <laughs> it works. It's kind of sketchy. Like it's obviously very shady. But at this, I have no no qualms about doing yeah. this. Especially so, if we're not going to get our free movie ticket like I just <laughs> Yeah, this is my free movie ticket even though I paid 35 bucks
0: yeah. um, So I know I uh, wanted uh, uh, Ian wanted to talk about Borderlands 2 which I kind of don't want him to talk about because I I haven't played it yet and I'm afraid like I have way too much work, but I, I, I want to hear his thoughts on it um, So real quick bef- too. before we get to that the last thing in the phone space uh, I was at the launch of HTC's Windows Phone 8X and 8S, um, and it'll still be a while before we get our hands-on devices, but, uh, and, and Brian had kind of looked at them and, and used them prior to, to this announcement, um, and he was telling me about how good they feel and, and how well HTC did this round. Um, and I have to agree, man. Like, in-hand feel of the 8X and 8S, personally, I thought blew away, you know, handling the Lumia 920. Um, I, I, See, that's what I thought too, but I couldn't really say anything until <laughs> until it was public. Yeah. Um, no, I I totally agree with you. Like, I, I didn't expect it. I was like, you know, it, it's you know, it's just going to be another Windows phone. But I really like the hands that the feel of these things, and I thought HTC did an awesome job with all the colors and the styling and all of it. Like, I, I just HTC today is so different of a company than HTC like fifteen months ago. Um, It's just unbelievable how much they've changed. Um, And the other cool thing is, uh, Brian, what you were described to me is the fact that they just completely redid the way the inside is assembled, right? So instead of being uh, a stack of display, PCB, and then battery, it's kind of reversed. So you have display, battery, and then PCB at the very end. So you kind of have this like pyramid design at the back, um, which I never really got until I held it, and it's it's just really cool.
2: Um, I think they did a really good job with it. Um, and they maximize their battery, battery volume that way, which is really, really quite novel. Mm-hmm. No, and it's, of course, then your antennas aren't being blocked by a big battery. So, yeah, just like it's, uh, it seems obvious now, but it's it's an interesting approach. It's it's really well done.
0: I was I was very pleased with it. We we still obviously um, Microsoft is still on its hey, you can't see or know anything about Windows Phone 8 or Windows 8 or whatever. So we weren't allowed to touch much beyond like the lock screen and a few like canned demos but um
2: oh so they let you pass the lock
0: screen they let us pass the lock screen but we weren't able to tap anything um okay for anything else the demo person had to sit there and say hey this is me playing music or here's a movie um so the normal on rails thing yeah it's just microsoft being microsoft again unfortunately (laughs) um so anyways that's that um ian borderlands 2 do you have it have you been playing it
1: um. Yeah. So, Borderlands Two. Wow. Go buy it. It's amazing. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. So, um, I used to be quite an avid gamer. I did. I did clan gaming. I did the whole. You get home from school. Don't do your homework. Play on your games console for several hours and at the weekends. Um. But now, as I've grown up, you know, I less time to play games. So I have to pick one or two a year that I want to play. And my one this year has been Borderlands 2. Um, for those of you who don't know Borderlands and Borderlands 2, um, the whole series, it's a futuristic Western action FPS RPG. So, <laughs> okay. so, 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 so you run around, you gun stuff, but like Diablo, you can pick up 87 bazillion guns. I think the official uh, term is, you know, decide which equipment is better and then go play story mode. Um, where it differs from most FPS's in modern day is single player is about 30 hours long, um, compared to Call of Duty where you're struggling to get beyond 8 or 12. Um, and the big appeal for me is 4 player co-op. So um, jumping online, especially with my brother, I th- we did 3 hours last night, so while you guys are running battery tests I've been um, playing Borderlands 2. <laughs> <laughs> Not fair. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the 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 big uh, the biggest draw for me apart from being a big fan of the original game which i think i completed about 5 times um was the amount of uh, technical videos that came out particularly regarding physx um physx the addition of secondary physics non non important game physics just to make it look better um i've always been quite skeptical of this t- technology ever since it was released um plus i've always been uh, an amd gpu user in my system but the minute i saw the video online on youtube um go have a look the the physics in borderlands 2 is just amazing you fire an acid gun on the floor and acid will spew out from where you've shot and as you as people and npcs walk through it they will disturb the gel on the floor or you shoot shoot the floor, and tons of rubble comes out. You shoot it with a shotgun, tons of rubble comes out, flags waving, big explosions. It's essentially I'm now converted into a green team Nvidia gamer. Um, and wow, that's, that's huge! Thanks to, it's 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 the the way that Nvidia have worked with Gearbox software on this, um, in order to create all these immensely good-looking particle effects. It's, it, yeah. So I, I sort of went into playing Borderlands two biased because I loved the first. Um, so if I was to write a review for an Antec on it, um, it would be quite biased, I guess, in that regard. <laughs> <When I> get... <laughs> yeah, but but, but so better so... to know what what's
2: different or like change. Yeah, like I played Borderlands it's... one, but I couldn't finish it. I don't know, like my attention span and the the amount of work that I have. I guess makes it, it really it's...
1: small. I don't know. It, it 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 plays on the whole role playing game. You know you have to grind a little if you like. If for me, games like Diablo and Counter Strike Source, they were sort of my my bread and butter when I was younger. So Borderlands two sort of mixes both of them up.
2: Gotcha. Interesting. I, Unreal Tournament three had the same sort of like physics secondary things like, what what was the one gun that shot green goo? I can't remember the name. This is so embarrassing, but it it would do the same thing the like bio we gun at, yeah. yeah that's right and it would like shoot out and it was very it was very like i don't know it was very rewarding to see it like splatter all over the place <laughs> something about well, that one yeah well, cuz well, well, i had that when... XPS notebook with the physics card inside wow the the Aegea <laughs> yeah. one yeah yeah back in the day so that was like you could use this you know, and it would shoot, it would make the bio gun look awesome. Wow! Did you ever meet Manju Hegdi, the,
0: uh, I guess he was the old CEO of Ajia? No, uh, no. you have to meet him, he'd probably be really, really happy.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I spent, like,
0: a, a lot of money on that notebook, so... <laughs> wow, yeah, you know, he's, he's at AMD now. Interesting, yeah. well, that's kind of ironic. Well, he was at NVIDIA for a while, and then he ended up at AMD, um...
2: Wait, maybe I did meet him. Was he at a dinner at IDF a long time ago, like two years ago? That isn't yes, yes. You met him. Yeah, when, and I met him. Yep. We were at the table
0: together. That's right. Yep, you met him right when he came over to AMD, I think.
2: Yeah, I remember this discussion now.
0: Did you ever tell him that you owned one of his cards?
2: No, I don't I don't think I was like I don't think I did, but yeah.
1: I, I did own it.
2: Yes. It was in there. That's awesome.
1: I see. Uh, I'm probably going overkill on the physics because you can use it with something as little as a 8800 GTX, you know, really old NVIDIA cards. Um, I've got a 560 paired with a 460, um, which is totally overkill. Um, I want to replace them all top to bottom with the uh, GTX 680s. Just need some money. So is the, is the 560, is that not enough to drive graphics and physics at the same time? Um, it's more the fact that I had a spare four sixty lying around. Okay. So I decided so I started to stick it in and put it in as a dedicated physics card, which is so immensely easy to do in the NVIDIA control panel. It's like three clicks and boom, I've there just up all the settings on my screen size and off you go. Um the the I mean, Brian, you played Borderlands one and it was the graphic style was sort of cartoony. Yeah, was it's very it? stylized,
2: but it's awesome. You know, like, I like different styles. I so, thought it was so,
1: very pretty, yeah. So what they've done with Borderlands 2 is essentially put, kept the same style, but such an immense fine gloss on everything to do with lighting and, again, the additional physics. I'll keep talking about it because it's awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure when so, NVIDIA finally listens to this, I think they're going to be very pleased. For years, they've been trying to get us to say that you know, physics was actually useful and, and a worthwhile uh, kind of addition. Um, and this is the first time I think anyone is uh, on our side has, has ever given it a glowing recommendation in, in any application before.
1: It's, it's. It, I can tell the experience that I had with Borderlands One on an AMD card. It, the game itself wasn't physics enabled, I don't think. But then moving to Borderlands Two with the NVIDIA cards the it's 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 more immersive that's that's the key feature when you're talking about gaming it's i quite easily happily play 3 4 hours online co-op just as long as my brother doesn't run off and finish all the quests before i get a chance to even read what they're talking about <laughs> um now so here's the the
0: real question would it push you it sounds like it would push you to consider an AMD, uh, an NVIDIA GPU over a similarly performing, similarly priced, or maybe even a better priced AMD GPU because of this.
1: Yes. Um,
0: yes. Wow! If,
1: really? If 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 somebody came to me and said, "Look, I play games. Um, I love Borderlands. Recommend me a GPU at this price point," I would instantly go to NVIDIA. But as a lot of games, you know, they are GPU dependent so
0: so here's the other question would your recommendation change if the person wasn't a huge Borderlands fan like they're going to play it but they're not as into it as you are
1: then I'd probably consider performance and price performance okay or I'd ask Ryan <laughs> <That's>...
2: <laughs> he still owes me like a couple GPUs because I was like I need more GPUs for my cache Computation stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and there was like a 5870 that was going to go to Chris, I think, and I think it went. Like I gave him my 5870 because he just needed it more.
1: Yeah, we'll have to follow. So, up how with many bit? How, how many bitcoins do you have? I don't do bitcoins, sadly.
0: <laughs> just Brian likes having lots of compute at his disposal.
1: Yes. <laughs> don't 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 we all?
0: <laughs> um. Cool. Well, I think we actually made it through our entire outline without hitting the two-hour mark, which I think is a good accomplishment. Um, and on that note, I should get back to iPhone battery life testing and trying to forget everything Ian just said about Borderlands 2 because um, I have to get through this week.
1: <laughs> and um... uh, You guys got it three days before we did, before the rest of the world did. Really? So Yeah, so I was I, I was there rocking in my chair back and forth waiting for it to <laughs> unlock on Steam.
0: Yeah, I think I was in New York and you were in Korea, Brian, when
2: that happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I missed no, all of this. No excuse. <laughs> um, I'm going to Scottsdale tomorrow to test some LTE and then meet up with people. Yeah, that'll be cool. And uh so, yes, yeah, I
0: I'm, I'm So I'm
1: I'm am I going to have to wait until you play it and then before uh, I decide whether I want to write a review or not? Um no, I mean, you can you can decide to
0: write a review. Um <laughs> i I'm, I'm intrigued i feel like for our next podcast i need to go out and play this thing like it's just the issue is i need to somehow play it and have the play time not come out of the insane amount of work time that i need to put in this week right because like i have we have something cool coming out later this week that i don't think i can talk about yet um and i still have to get through haswell and i have to not completely let brian down on the iphone 5 side so i
2: <laughs> yeah we could, you have a lot of stuff where, i mean everybody has yeah a lot
0: i can just see brian's hey where's the battery life data and i'm like oh i don't know i'm just uh, not not done with the battery tests yet ignore i all wish the- i could help more but, but there's just no lte
2: here no yet. that's fine i actually Lots. and i've also asked vivek to help a bit um that's good yeah, yeah. so we I need mean, more data to average together it's never going to be worse i agree i agree Um, Anyway, so on that note, uh, thanks for listening. And um, we will be
0: back again in a week. Um, There's going to be a lot of cool content going up on the site this week, hopefully, if uh, we can get stuff done. Um, And that's it.